So the Bible doesn't leave it up to us to decide what a church is. I want to talk a little bit about five defining marks of a New Testament church. When I say a New Testament church, I'm talking the local church, uh, what we are. The church you understand is ecclesia. It's called out ones. It's not the building uh, because if it was the building, we wouldn't be doing very well in a warehouse, right? <laughs> so um, it's, it's the people that God has brought out from darkness into marvelous light. And um, one thing that has happened in, in Christendom and evangelicalism even in the last probably 40 years, maybe 50, is that pastors have been deciding what the church is. <laughs> and they come up with one kind or another, a seeker-sensitive church or, or a church that's solely focused on young people or a church that is going to be fully given to quote-unquote worship, and it's just music, and it's like going to a club. Uh, And I'm not kidding. I mean, with lights and with foggers and everything else. So um, the the Bible doesn't promote that at all. The New Testament provides us with at least five, probably more, defining marks of New Testament church. And I'd like to say that I believe this, this is our philosophy of ministry here at Beacon of Hope, and so I'm going to touch on them. Because today is a really special day. As I mentioned, we're, we're packing a lot into today. It reminds me of the Christian life. Uh, he has given us life in abundance, and so today is full. So the very first thing I want to talk about is that a New Testament church, in our church, has a high view of God, a high view of God. And as a a note on the side, a realistic view of man, okay? God is the creator, man is a creature. So that's all I'm going to say. Creator, creature. We're under God as our creator. Now, clear understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he is the creator, is, is just foundational. You don't have that, you don't have anything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything. God is the creator. He's holy. Exodus 15.11, who is like you among God's Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? He's altogether righteous. Psalm 11, verse 7, for Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness. And he is just. Exodus 34, 4. All his ways are justice. I believe that's 32, 4. Exodus 32, 4 says, all his ways, God's ways, are justice. Without a high view of God, there'll be a toleration of sin. And we see this in churches. I I know folks that go to some of the larger churches in the area. I'm not going to name names, but... Um, and they know of multiple people that are in adulterous affairs going to church every Sunday. And, and sin is tolerated in churches where there is not a high view of God. And without a high view of God, man becomes the primary focus of the teaching and ministry of the church. They won't confront sin because that will make people leave. They don't talk about sin because that will make people leave. And they get their, their bearings from the popular culture. Okay, and so now more and more churches are accepting of homosexuality and transgenderism and so forth. 
Why? Because that's where the culture's going, and we don't want to ruffle the feathers of the congregants because we'd lose people over that, and that is not a New Testament church. The New Testament church will teach focusing on the promotion of God's exalted character, not on man's people and their needs or centered on their comfort. That's one reason why, even though this beloved worship area that we have here is surrounded by a million cringe factors, I'm almost proud of it (laughs) because you're here to hear God's word. You're not here because of all the bells and whistles that we have as a church. I mean, would to God we had some more. It'd be nice. But right now you're here to hear God's word, and that's great. A high view of God ensures the practice of church discipline, which is unheard of in many churches today, according to Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And church discipline, it's not something to be afraid of or fearful of. It's to protect the purity of the church. With a high view of God, you don't allow sin to just go unchecked when it's exposed and you can see it and members in the congregation can see it. You address it in love, questioning, because you may be wrong. It also preserves personal holiness and it promotes personal holiness, church discipline does, as well as having as its primary goal restoration of an erring brother or a sinning brother. So it's not unloving by any stretch of the imagination. It is the goal to restore the person that is caught up in their sin. Now, New Testament church presents reverence for the person of God within the church, not a flippant casual attitude towards him by calling him the big guy upstairs or my buddy Jesus. That is, that is anathema. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't wait for when he comes. And those believers that have been sucked into that, who are actually believers, but they've been untaught for so many years, they think of them as my buddy Jesus, and they're caught up in the rapture. I don't think they're going to talk very much about their buddy. I think they're going to fall down and worship at his feet. So there's a reverence for the person of God within the church. The New Testament church teaches and acts upon the truth of God's word and will not remain quiet in order to maintain the status quo. That's why I'm showing the essential church. It's something we need to see. Many churches became aware that there is a force called the government that wanted to dictate to us when we worshipped, how we worshipped, whether or not we could sing, how close we should stand to next each other. And it's just totally contrary to the word of God. And this whole uh, movie of the Essential Church talks about why that is not for the New Testament church to embrace. And it corrects some thinking from first, uh, excuse me, from uh, Romans chapter 13. So you be sure you come to that. When is that again? What time? What time? Okay, good. You come to that. We might even entice you with some coffee and crumpets. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We don't usually do that. So the New Testament church teaches and acts upon the truth of God's word and won't remain quiet. We stand up for the truth. And we have consistently at Beacon of Hope, and we will continue to do that. That's our commitment to you. A commitment to a high view of God will lead us to view his word as a perfect guide for life and practice in our church. 
So the second element in a New Testament church, a biblical church, if you will, is a high view of the Bible, God's Word. If you want to go ahead and turn to um, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, you see very clearly there how a high view of the Word, why we should have a high view of the Word, because first and foremost, it is perfect It is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. That means it's complete. It is sufficient. Nothing more is needed than the Word of God. And because it is that, it restores the soul. Uh, Brother Sam said, Jesus outshines every concert he's ever done, any experience he's ever had. Uh, Hear, hear to that, Sam. I was 19 years without the Lord. When I came to the Lord, it was like, day and night, and I didn't have Jewish friends that I went to, but I went to all my sinning friends and preached the gospel, and I'm sure the same result happened, you know, persona non grata. They just wanted to get away from me, and that's okay, because he gave me a whole new family. But we see that it is perfect. The Word of God is perfect, and it restores the soul. Secondly, it is sure. That means it's reliable. It's trustworthy. And because it is trustworthy, it makes wise the simple. The simple being those who are ignorant and and unknowing. It it brings uh, new understanding and helps the person to live their lives because wisdom is truth lived out, right? And then... Thirdly, it's, it's right. That means it's straight. It's in line with God's way. And so therefore, it rejoices our heart because we're in sync with our creator God. We're creatures. He's the creator. And if we live by his word, which is right, then it rejoices our heart. When we sin, we're out of sync with our creator in his way. And then it is pure, That means it's without defect. It is clear. It is is clear, enlightening the eyes. And it is clean, without corruption. And it endures forever because of that. It is true, with a capital T. It's not a lie. And when I say a capital T, uh, truth has taken a hard hit in our postmodern times now. We are in a post-Christian, in a postmodern era. And truth is no longer held. I've, I've taught in this many times that we're on a sliding gray scale now. Um, and I think one famous comedian said the truthiness. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, there is right and there is wrong. There, there is um, a difference. And today, uh, it's as though people look for ways to justify the wrong and to give allowance for the wrong. Don't fall into that. And by the word we are warned, and keeping it brings great reward. So a high view of the Bible. On the other hand, holding and promoting views contrary to the Bible spell trouble. Adding to divine revelation by visions and dreams and extra biblical data misleads and deceives people. Professing to be believers of the Bible, but ignorant of what it teaches, there are multitudes of false teachers out there. And, you know, the sad thing about them is they speak with the greatest authority. You listen to them, and they're persuasive. 
But you need to compare Scripture with Scripture and compare everything you hear, even what I say, to the Scriptures. That's why I try to stick with the Scripture as I teach you week to week. And it's wrong to take the issues of life, those struggles that we have, it's wrong to take them to something other than the Word of God. When man's ideas compete with God's ideas, man loses 10 out of 10 times. 10 out of 10 times. You never win with the ideas of men. And the way to deal with life's issues is to turn to God's word and seek out what his counsel is concerning whatever it is that you're facing. And if you can't do it on your own, that's what pastors and elders are for and good Christian friends. So thirdly, not only a high view of God and a high view of his word, our philosophy of ministry here promotes sound doctrine, teaching, That's what the word doctrine means. The disciples held to a body of knowledge and taught it in all the churches, and they held all the churches accountable to that teaching. Um, In the first century, there is a a document called the Didache, uh, the teaching, and it encapsulated what the apostles taught, and then it followed in uh, as the church continued to develop. That body of knowledge is contained within the New Testament, Jude 3, Jude verse 3 says this. It says, contend earnestly for the faith. That is a very, very select term, the faith, which was handed down to the saints, handed down from the apostles, the disciples, and contained in our New Testament. The faith is that that body of knowledge that we should understand. Right now, uh, Micah and... and, um, and Lucas are going through a mentorship for uh, training for becoming a missionary. And they have to study Bible knowledge. Well, they're in the process of memorizing the outline of every book in the Bible. They're also studying systematic theology and having to answer questions on systematic theology as well as pastoral issues. Um, how do you live your life, if you will? And what we're doing is we're inculcating in them the body of knowledge, the faith, so that when they go over and bring the truth of God's word to an unreached people group, they will be bringing the truth of God's word and not their own ideas. Now, there is really nothing startling and new that the New Testament church will hold forth in its teaching. Rather, following Paul's advice in 1 Timothy Uh, Chapter 4, verse 6, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, the faith, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine or sound doctrine unto which thou hast attained. Now, explaining what the Bible teaches regarding God, mankind, life, death, heaven, hell, sin, Christ, angels, the Holy Spirit, the position of the believer, the flesh, the world, the devil, and the things to come, these are not what churches are teaching today. You have little video clips, and then the guy gets up and talks for 15 minutes about how to. I was at a mega, mega, mega church down in Southern California And the message was how to have good sex. And the pastor and his wife got up. And she was better than he was, actually. She at least used the Bible. Unbelievable people. Unbelievable. And this was an evangelical church. You'd die. The name of it was (coughs) Saddleback. (coughs) 
sadly, I was there because I brought all the senior staff from John MacArthur's church with me, and it was such an embarrassment. And we just had a, a wonderful dinner afterwards talking about that. <laughs> Explaining what the Bible teaches regarding God and mankind, and, and all of those things is what we need to be about, not other things. That's what's modeled for us in the New Testament epistles, and it's what the church needs to be teaching on a regular basis. People need a foundation of doctrine upon which to build their lives. Psalm 11.3, you'll be familiar with this. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And that's been going on for decades now in the evangelical church. Pablum, no longer teaching God's word. Number four, understanding the purpose of the church. This is a big one. Because somehow or other, (laughs) we're in church, but we really don't even know what the church is in many churches. And ecclesiology is, is like some aberrant thing that you hear about. In Ephesians 1, 8 through 14, we find that the ultimate purpose of the church is to be to the praise of God's glory to the praise of his glory. Well, if we're teaching something outside of the word of God and our own ideas or what the culture is demanding of us, it's not going to be to the praise of his glory. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 fills out the purpose for the church by defining the reason for its existence. And what does it say? We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light And if you look at the back of your bulletin, that's our mission statement. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ in word and deed by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. We're on track. Hold us to this. If we begin to deviate as your leadership, contact us, tell us, and question us because that's the way we want to go. So, it's important In the end, that all would glorify God in a day of visitation, Gentiles included. (laughs) We're we're as, as, as a wild plant that's been grafted in to his people. (laughs) We're we're wild ones. Me especially. I'm Roman. My gosh. Now, let me say this. How can how can we as a church be intermediaries? Because we're the priesthood. There, there's something called the priesthood of the believer. How, priests are intermediaries. How can we, as the people of God, be intermediaries? We can stand between God and man through the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in, in entirety, evangelism people. Evangelizing, telling people about Jesus Christ. Remember what it was like before you were saved and what it was like after you were first born again and start telling people about that again. Many of us have gotten middle-aged in our, in our Christianity. We need to throw that off and reclaim the first love of Jesus Christ once again. According to 1 Timothy 3.15, the clearest purpose of the church is to be a pillar in support of the truth. There's that truth element again. The world lies in the hand of the evil one, and he is a liar from the beginning, John 8, 44. The church stands in the gap and holds out truth in the face of a lie. It holds out truth to those who are deceived 
into same-sex marriages. It holds out truth to the government who wants to tell us you may not sit close to each other and you may not sing. And initially, you may not even gather together. How dare them? How dare them? That's not their call. Titus 2, 11 through 14, there is an active personal holiness that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Personal holiness. Personal holiness. That's how we are to reflect Christ. Now, failure to understand the biblical purpose of the church leads to superficial and counterfeit ministries and results in disunity and program success is glorified rather than God. How many people we have, how many programs we have, yada, 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 all the way through. And, and that's wrong. We will not do programs in this church, and we've dropped some of the ministries that we've done because they, they had their lifespan and they're done, and now we do other ministries in their place. I could name off at least probably five ministries that we at one time were engaged with, but we no longer do them because we don't want to calcify. That's what happens. Once done, always done. No. If it's not effective anymore, if it's not what we need anymore, we set it aside and and look for what God would have us to do. So we don't want to Uh, do something that does not glorify God. People become passive spectators rather than active participants. That's a a real danger. And I want to call out, we used to preach two things. Number one, you have been saved to serve. You have been saved to serve. Now I'm going to add a little something else to that. Not to sit, okay? Not to sit. Now, the other thing that I want to say is every member is to be functioning, Now, not everybody is going to be playing the piano like Tracy or like Brother Sam. Not everybody is going to sing like our worship team. Not everybody is going to preach. Not everybody is going to teach. But everybody can be engaged. And I'll tell you what, our ministries need your help, people. Our nursery needs your help. Our Sunday school needs teachers. And every year it's like beating a drum. And I'll tell you what, I'll go plant another church if you guys don't want to function. I'm serious. We need to get off our duffs and get functioning here, okay? Young to old, we need to be about God's business. And you might be not very joyful. The possibility is you're not functioning, okay? Service is gasoline in our Christian engines. And if you're not serving in some way, you're like running on fumes, So no wonder you might be a little bit sad, okay? So let's roll up our sleeves and get functioning. Leadership is focused and forced to spin all the plates in a church that just has programs. And the result is the church becomes an organization run by managers turning out programs rather than a living spiritual organism of committed believers empowered by the Holy Spirit engaged in building itself up in love through evangelism. That's what we're to be about. Now fifth and last, We understand biblical leadership. The picture of the church's leadership is often portrayed as a shepherd. And your, as congregants, are portrayed as a flock. And biblical leadership fulfills these primary responsibilities of the church. We lead. We're out front. You follow us. We take the lead. The flock drawing 
is drawn along by their example. They're not behind the sheep driving them with a stick. And my last comments on serving might have sounded kind of like a stick. So be it. I was just out in front leading because I serve. And you know I do. As your example. And so do all the leaders in the church. So come on aboard. It's, it, it, the water's great. Come on in. Not only do they lead, they feed the flock. Your leaders are to be preaching and teaching God's word, opening up the meaning of, uh, to the church of a consistent basis, both publicly and privately. And thirdly, they protect and they care for the flock, guarding the congregation from error and caring for the people with compassion, mercy, and love. Last week, I, I taught on the, the, the origin of uh, the Palestinians, and it doesn't come from the Philistines. The Philistines are people that have been gone for centuries and centuries. And there's a lot of, a lot of error out there. And I taught on that. Why? Because there's error. And I want you to understand the truth of these things. So protecting you from error. And being pastoral. And all this is, is, is a servant leadership. It's done as service to you. Not as a top-down um, I'm Moses, you're the people, follow me. It's not like that. We're shoulder to shoulder, we're sinners just like you. It's just that we have a high calling by the providence of God that we need to hold up to. And they should reflect the character of Christ as models and examples to the flock. And their lives reflecting the character and qualifications of an elder, of which I'll be reading to you shortly. There are very definable qualifications, character qualifications, that I and the elders of your church need to be living out and meeting, not perfectly, because we're not perfect human beings, but the trajectory is that they're in our lives and we're growing in these areas. A failure to correctly understand the biblical leadership will cultivate a leadership pool that is chosen on the basis of abilities or skills or social standing. Some churches, who you're related to. <laughs> That's who the leadership is. Those are quagmires. Run away. Run away from a church like that. Rather than spiritual qualifications that are clearly laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Peter chapter 5. Godly character is imperative for spiritual leadership to be effective. Now we, the church, Beacon, are God's program for this age. Not just beacon, but the church, okay? It's called the church age. And it's only going to be around until the rapture. And I've taught you on the rapture. And it began, when was the birthday for the church? Pentecost, okay, good. Two of you got that. That's, we, we need a little bit more robust. We're going to have to go back to that one and teach on that again. But Pentecost, why? Because the Spirit of God came to indwell his people for the first time indwelling. He came upon people in the Old Testament for works of service, but in the New Testament, in the church age, he indwells his saints. That's a new thing, and that's a mighty cool thing. And that's why at one time, he is going to return in the clouds to call his church to himself to meet him in the air. How's he going to do that? Well, everybody that has the Spirit of God dwelling within him will be called up into the air. That Incidentally, does say that some will be left. I had a good friend of mine tell me that another good friend of mine told him that after the rapture, he can become the appointed pastor of this church. 
I thought, that's brutal. He was joking, of course, but that's kind of brutal. But there will be, you know, not everybody here that professes possesses, right? We know that. So check your heart. Make sure you're in. And if you don't know for certain, even if you've been coming to church for a long time, come talk to us. There's no shame in that at all. No shame at all. So, we're truly beacon of hope in a world that is lost and dying. And we hold out hope to the hopeless and peace to those in turmoil. And the good news is needed today more than ever. And it is our privilege to bring in those around us who do not yet know. So, be a beacon. Beacon. That's the name of our church. Beacon. Be a beacon. Beacon. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for these clear uh, indications of what a biblical church looks like. And we pray, God, that you would uh, help us to continue uh, the process of becoming more and more as you would have us to be as believers, Lord. And we pray, God, that we would be a beacon of hope in the Twin Cities and beyond. Use us, we pray, Father, way beyond our imaginations, what we could ask or think, because it will bring you even more glory. Thank you, Father, for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.